Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Today's reading is Psalm 19 from the New International Version. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Ben. Oh, wasn't the worship great this morning? I just enjoyed it. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's a light to our feet. We thank you that you've thought of us, that you have given us your word. But more than that, not just writing, but you've come as the word, the meaning. You've, you've actually come uh, and moved into our neighbourhood as Jesus and made yourself known to us. And that's a truly amazing thing. Help us this morning as we uh, listen to your word. Lord, I pray that it would, uh, would speak to us, that we might uh, come away from our service this morning encouraged, seeking after you, knowing that you pursue us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yeah, so this is the first sermon in our series, uh, The Quest for Values. And uh, I don't know about, uh, you know, I'm not usually a, a binge watcher of TV programs, but, um, but the, the pandemic has really brought out this latent quality in me. Over the past six months, Wendy and I have watched eight seasons of the UK version of Grand Designs with Kevin MacLeod. And uh, this is probably enough to earn us an honorary a degree as an architect or an honorary builder's licence. Uh, but for those of you who haven't seen Grand Designs, uh, it's a reality TV show, I guess you'd call it. 
And it's a show that follows people who design and build their own homes. And uh, these are the people who appear on the show, uh, and they're chosen, I think, for this, that they have little experience uh, at building and they have no trade skills generally. Uh, and so that's really what makes the show interesting, isn't it? Otherwise, it would be a really boring show if we were sort of following uh, you know, full builders around all the time as they do their job. But each episode is full of twists and turns as people uh, begin projects without, uh, without proper plans or even without pr- planning approval. They often run over their budgets and they run over time in, their, you know, in what, what they've got available, what, how, how long they think it'll take them to, uh, to build their home. And throughout the show, they are frayed emotionally and mentally and physically uh, by the whole process of building their home. Grand Designs has taught me a lot of things about building. Uh, but I've seen that there's actually one essential element to every successful building project. And this is that all homes that actually stand the test of time are built on a solid foundation. And without a solid foundation, even the grandest of designs cracks and can fall down. In many ways, this uh, basic rule of building is also applicable to life. In fact, I suggest to you today that the good life, uh, human flourishing, experiencing vitality and joy and meaning and peace and satisfaction and hope in life, uh, in this life, but also for eternity, are only possible when we actually build our lives on something that's uh, solid and lasting and which can carry the weight of our lives and everything that life throws up to us on the way. Today, many people approach life, I think, in a similar way to people who are building these homes on grand designs. They construct their philosophies and values for living, Uh, On the run, they give uh, little or no thought to perhaps planning and uh, they don't consider the cost of uh, of their decisions to them emotionally, physically or mentally or even spiritually. Today, many modern people gain their rules for living and values from three places. The first place that people often get their values from is from their peer group or from society. This is uh, not altogether bad, as, as society does uh, sometimes identify its own ills and, and seeks to point them out and, and uh, fix them. But this is not always the case, is it? <laughs> Just because a whole bunch of people agree on something doesn't make it right. History is littered with ideas and attitudes and actions that people have collectively thought, oh, that's a good idea, and that's right, but which have turned out to be wrong and destructive. Another place that people get their values is by listening to their emotions. This is the basically, if it feels good, do it. The trouble with, these, with our emotions, though, is that they're not always very reliable. They change. What you feel strongly about when you're 12 years of age or when you're 21 or 41 or 61 are quite different. And so... Uh, they, um, they, can, uh, they can be quite different. The third place that people get their values from 
is what is easiest or what is most convenient at the time. But this can also uh, lead to decisions and actions that actually play havoc uh, with people's lives down the road as they uh, reap the, the, uh, the returns of such decisions. We're living in a world which tends to shun the idea of there being a grand design of life or even a grand designer. Instead, people are attempting to navigate lives, their life uh, themselves without basing their life on anything solid, and, there is, and which this often results in many cracks uh, forming in life and also lives collapsing under the weight of, of the things we experience. A life built on your own rules and values may actually seem like a life of complete freedom, something that you long for. This is what uh, we're told. But actually, this is, uh, but this is a deception. You see, complete freedom is actually what Satan sold to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when he told them that, about that uh, when he said to them that God's command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the centre of the garden would actually limit their experience of freedom. It didn't limit it. It actually opened their eyes and they experienced all those things after that. On the street, at school, at university, the same story is being told today. It might be the storyline that uh, you actually have in your mind today. That is, if I can only get rid of these restraints, then I'll be completely free. This is one of the driving philosophies of our times, isn't it? It's popularly expressed in the phrase, you do you, which means that people should be free to do whatever they want in life. But the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre says, humans are absolutely free yet forlorn. Sartre was an atheist, but he knew this, this human dilemma from his own experience. You see, the argument is, if God doesn't exist, then all rules for living and all values of, for life actually disappear with him. If God is dead, so to speak, then there's no such thing as good or bad or right or wrong. If there's no God, then where is it written that people should be honest? Or where is it written that they shouldn't lie or they shouldn't cheat on their partner or spouse or that they shouldn't be racist or bigoted or abusive or kill people or destroy the planet? The great Russian writer Dostoevsky says, if God didn't exist, everything would be possible. Today, many people believe that everything and anything that their mind conjures up is possible. The good, the bad, and the really ugly, because they live without God. This is the reason that we are so forlorn, says Jean-Paul Sartre, because our quest for complete freedom is actually destroying us. In Psalm 19, which we're looking at today, the poet David, who write, wrote this psalm, says that the good life, human flourishing, is not gained by having no rules or no values or living according to society's changing rules and values. Instead, he says, the good life is built on God's unchanging wisdom, 
guidance and values because only these are solid enough and strong enough to carry us through life. In Psalm 19, David tells us that God's rules for living and values are sturdy and reliable because they are a reflection of God's nature and character. He describes God's rules for living as perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, firm and eternal. In verse 9 of Psalm 19, David says that the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. You see, the word righteous here means that something is perfect. In other words, God's rules for living are, are something true and something straight and they can be actually used to help build something strong in life or a strong life. See, builders use tools uh, and instruments like this when they're building the foundation of a house or when they're building a wall, don't they? They're always using levels and plumb lines and straight edges which are true and righteous because without a true and straight instrument, a wall or a foundation that they're building would very quickly become crooked or uneven or out of level. The straight edge is actually not the same as a builder's eye, is it? It's not the same as his or her own judgment. Builders know that their own eyes are not accurate enough for evaluating levels and lines. That's why they use these tools. You see, if a wall begins to be built out of line, even by just a few millimetres, then over the course of the, the wall or the distance of the wall of, say, 20 metres or so, that gap, that, that gap would actually grow in size and the wall would end up becoming crooked or un, uneven or, or out of level. And this could affect the strength of the wall. Likewise, their own judgment is not a very reliable tool for building our lives. In just about every episode of Grand Designs, the, uh, the owner builders rely on their own judgment and uh, instead of on their plan or on solid calculations. And uh, their estimations, the amount of money and the time needed to complete their house are often way out. They're also overly, often overly optimistic and quite unrealistic about what they can actually achieve themselves. Quite often, <laughs> they're calling up a builder to come and help them. But it's not just on grand designs that people's judgments are overly optimistic and unrealistic, is it? Our home-made rules for living and values based on our own judgments are quite subjective and often they're unreliable and therefore not adequate to carry us through life or even or enduring enough to secure life for us in eternity with God. But it's not just that today's values and rules are unreliable. Don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that uh, you know we should flick flip back to the 1950s and live on those values or go back even further to the 1900s or even back even further, God's rules for living are strong and reliable because they're actually not situational. They don't change according to the situation. They're not made up on the run or developed according to how we feel at the time 
They're a true straight edge because they are a reflection of God's own nature and character. And God's nature and character don't change. They're not just rules and values for some groups of people either or for certain times in history. They're actually applicable across the world through time because they're established by the God of all creation. That's what the Bible tells us. This is what David was saying in the first six verses of Psalm 19. You see, at, the, at, uh, at verse 7, there's a change. It talks about God's law. But the first six verses, he starts off talking about creation, about the sun, the stars, and then he, and then he, then he switches to talking about God's rules for living. But he has a reason for doing this, you see. He's not just sort of scatterbrained. He actually has a reason for this. He says in the first six verses of Psalm 19 that the actual universe declares that there is a, a grand designer. And the reality of this can be seen clearly just by looking up into the sky. Just like when you go camping in the outback, far away from, we all long for that. Remember that? We could do that. Do you remember that, anyone? We, we would go out in those old days and we'd sit around a campfire where there were no lights and you would look up into the sky and it would, on a clear night and you would just be dazzled and amazed by what you would see. And it would make you think of your place in the universe and it would make you wonder about the creation of the universe and it would make you wonder how does all this hold together? You see, the, star, the stars, the moon, the sun and the whole cosmos are like a giant billboard, says David. And they're screaming out to us that God exists. It says that there is actually a first cause for all of this. It says that there is someone who has triggered it and whose rules and laws hold all of this universe in place. And this is God. And so the amazing thing is that, uh, that the creator God of the universe that put all the parameters of the universe in place so that it hangs together and, it, and so that it doesn't just burn up. You know, even our distance from the sun is actually just precise so that we have life here on earth. But the same God who established the parameters and rules for this world is also the same God who established the world, the, the, uh, the laws and values so that people's lives would not crack up, so that they could flourish in this life. If you base your life on your own values or, or those of your peer group or society or even on your own cultural group, your own ethnic group or anything else apart from God's rules for living and values, then you may not weather the storms of life when they come. The reason that God's rules for living and his wisdom enable people to flourish and to withstand the storms of life is because they are solid and enduring and they warn us of the pitfalls that are ahead and they guide us along the right path. 
But God's rules for living and values are not just wise counsel. There are actually tangible benefits that you will experience in life from basing your life on them. David says that God's rules for living refresh us. They also enable us to experience joy and avoid the pitfalls of life. Through them also God gives light to your eyes so that uh, you know truth about God and also truth about life. And also in God's word, it doesn't sugarcoat life. It doesn't twist things or obscure things. It actually speaks plainly, this plain truth about the problems of life, about the problems of sin, about the problems of suffering and the problems of pain that we all experience. And it talks about solutions that leads to experiencing joy and meaning and forgiveness and hope in the midst of pain and suffering that we experience in life. But this wisdom and promise of tangible blessing might still not convince you. You need to know why certain values, attitudes and actions are right or wrong. People are not convinced that cheating on their partner or spouse is not wrong just because it hurts their conscience. People know today that if they cheat enough times, then they won't feel anything. They'll be numbed by it. People are also convinced that cheating on their partners is, is uh, they're, not, they're not convinced that cheating on their partners is bad just because it isn't a loving thing to do either. Because plenty of people who have affairs can justify those affairs by saying that they're only being true to themselves and that they truly love their new partner. These arguments are not strong enough to convince us to have different values. The Bible says that cheating on our partner is wrong because God isn't a cheat and because the world that God created doesn't operate as God intended it to when people cheat on each other. And when they do cheat on each other, it leads to our lives cracking and crumbling and collapsing. The same is true for other rules for living that God has established, whether it's cheating on your partner or lying or stealing or being greedy or coveting or coercing others or worshipping things, the things that are created instead of God. These are bad for us, not because they make us feel guilty when we do them or not because they're not loving things to do. They are wrong because God isn't a cheat and God doesn't lie or steal or is greedy and because the world that God has created doesn't operate as it should when people do these things. They, these things, they lead to broken lives and they lead to a broken world and we can see the evidence of that all around us today. In a similar way that the universe and the natural order has rules and boundaries that God has established, human life also has rules and boundaries that actually enable people to flourish. And to discard those rules and those values is to contribute to our own downfall and the downfall of others around us. 
Solomon, who is said to be the wisest man of all, he says in Proverbs 1.18 that people who set out to plunder others are actually lying in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. One of the reasons you might want to reject God's rules for living and values is because you think that uh, they will enslave you. That you won't be truly free if you seek to live by them. But the truth is that people who live unrestrained lives are not really free, are they? They become enslaved by those things. It's the nature of them. We actually need boundaries and we need values in order to flourish. David says in Psalm 1 that that those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. But David doesn't end his poem in Psalm 19 by telling us how well he's kept God's laws and, uh, you know, or his, his rules for living or his values. And what a successful life he's had because of that. In, actually, in, in uh, chapter 19, verse 12, David's poem, the psalm, takes a, another turn, quite an abrupt turn as he comes to this stark awareness that he hasn't actually lived up to these rules for living and these values, as well as the realisation that he probably never will. He's just told us how wonderful God's rules for living are, to love God, to to not worship created things, to not kill kill or steal or lie, or to not want your neighbour's what your neighbour has, their, your, your neighbour's wife or things. And instead, he's, he's, uh, instead he says, he, not he, but the law says, be loving and gentle and generous, forgiving, humble. Seek after God and his righteousness, etc. But then here in verse 12, he suddenly realises that his equation for the flourishing life doesn't add up because he can't do it. He suddenly becomes aware, he says, of his hidden faults and his deliberate sins. And we're all aware of those, aren't we? You would think that this would be a giant letdown for David. (laughs) But it's the opposite. At this point, he comes to realise another important function of God's rules for living and God's values When he reflects on them, he says they make him realise that he has failed to keep God's rules and values, but this actually leads him to confession and to humility and to repentance. This is the conclusion that we are meant to come to as well after we reflect on God's rules for living and on God's values. It's It's not smugness or a feeling of accomplishment or superiority. And it's also not guilt or defeat that you are meant to feel. 
It's humility and repentance. This is the ultimate role of God's rules for living. They show us what God is like and how God intends us to live and how we are to relate to each other and to him. But they also show us what we are truly like. They are another billboard telling us about another reality in life, and that's our own reality. But David doesn't finish even there. He doesn't finish in despair. And this is why Psalm 19 is an ancient solution for a 21st century issue. You see, David's reflection on God's rules for living and values push him and they push us to see that that we actually need a redeemer. He tells us that it's not rules and values that really redeem us. Seeking them and following them are always a response, uh, a response to faith in God. They are not the entrance exam that gives you access to God. Their purpose is not to determine who is in or who is out. God's rules for living and values are there to help us flourish. But they are also there to push us to seek after God's Redeemer, Jesus whose death cleanses us from all our hidden and our deliberate sins and who sets us free from the punishment that we deserve for not living according to them. On what or whose values are you basing your life today? Is it your own philosophy of life? Are your values and rules for living situational, just evolving each day? Do you just go with the flow or with what your friends think or with the latest fashionable idea? You see, none of these are solid or durable foundations on which to build a flourishing life. They're like sandbars at the beach in summer, which are wiped away with the first winter storm. To flourish in life, to live with hope, integrity, peace and joy, you need to base your life on something solid or rather on someone solid whose values are perfect, who came into the world for every person and who has your best interest in his heart. This person is Jesus. He has the very nature and character of God and he came to us in a way that we might know God and know his wisdom. And, and through him we can receive the Holy Spirit who then writes God's rules for living and values on our heart. As we keep in step with his spirit each day, he enables us to bear good fruit in our lives, which is what we long for, which we desire. Everyone is searching for values to live by. But only by being in relationship with Jesus will you grasp rules to live by and values that will help you flourish and avoid the traps and pitfalls of life. Jesus knows this, which is why he told people in John 8.36 that you can only be free 
if the Son sets you free. Are you free today? Do you seek freedom? If you do, then base your life on Jesus. Every other foundation that you build upon will ultimately enslave you. How can we know God and his values and apply them to our lives? David says in verse 14 that the start of this journey is contemplating about God as creator of the universe. But he also says we can't just end our reflection there by just looking up into the sky at what God has made. We also need to seek God's wisdom and rules for living as he reveals them to us, reveal them to us in the word of God, in the Bible. And we need to accept the ultimate revelation of himself and his wisdom, which is Jesus. As the band comes up to play our final song, I want to encourage you to listen to the poet David this morning in this psalm and to Jesus, who are telling us to build our lives on a solid foundation, on a rock, so that we can withstand the storms of life and flourish as God intended us to. And that rock and that ultimate foundation is Jesus. As we sing our final song, I want to encourage you to listen to Jesus' invitation in today's sermon. And as you sing this song, it talks about building your life. And Jesus' invitation is to build your life on him and his teaching, teachings and his values and to tell him that you want him this morning to do this so that you might experience life in him and life to the full. We do that this morning as we sing this song together. Thanks, Rachel.